should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we're taking the crowd rigid dawn, and frankly, my dear, I don't know if we'll be returning. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. I've been playing a lot of World War II RTS video games, and there's a okay. lot of, like, bad British accents thrown in that, there for, like, well, narrator you voice. you replicated it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> you really captured the badness, I Yes, yes. Yep. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, or this week, my expert guest, Benedict. That's me. <laughs> How was Japan, or as Josh would call it, your two weeks without pornography? <laughs> Kevin, I don't know what to tell you. They have pornography. Um, yeah, it was those look, pixels. It's all very, weird. Nobody wants very to famously. Um, it was good. Yeah, it was, that's what uh, Benedict went there for: hunting for Japanese pornography. <laughs> yeah, you can't get it. Um, <laughs> it's really good stuff. No, it was good. Yeah, it was uh, very. I'm very tired. <laughs> you will find out as the as the episode goes on. That I will what time did you text me when you got back yesterday? It was like eight and eight in the evening or something like that. It was late-ish. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty late. Um, so I and then like, well, I got back on uh, on Saturday. Actually, we were recording Monday. Um, and then I slept fine on Saturday, and then yesterday my body just refused to cooperate, so I haven't really <laughs> slept. Um, and now it's Monday evening, and it, the last time I slept was Saturday night, so that's mm. fine. Um, but Over no, the counter cool. sleep aid, my friend. Yeah, that's or, true. Well, it's just booze, so just drink some booze. Yeah, I could also do that. Um, no, it's it was it was great. You know, Tokyo is a very cool city. Feels very livable. I felt very, very, very white. Is it um, a walkable city? Very walkable, very nice. um, but also very subwayable. So mm. that's you know, it, like it's very sprawling. So like, there's lots of individual bits that you can walk around in, but like you do have to get the subway places because it's just very big. So it takes a while to get from place to place, but there's like loads of bits of it that you can walk around. Which I'll is say, cool. Benedict, probably better than St. Louis. Certainly more walkable. <laughs> um, and, and also, I, I missed the opportunity you were setting me up for there to say you're the whitest person wherever you go. That was what I should have said in that true, moment. True, but I don't always feel it. Um, <laughs> but I did feel it in Japan. Is this uh, your first time in a majority non-white country? I guess it depends how you define white. Um, but well, let's yes. get let's we have a whole hours long podcast <laughs> about how we define white, Benedict. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no, well, but like I, you know, I would say Turkey's obviously not white. I've uh-huh. been to Turkey, like that's, but it, it's my first where I like really stand out as a white person. Yeah. I think. Oh no, um, I, I remember that feeling from back when I, I, you know, I've traveled a little bit in Asia too. I've been to uh, Vietnam, Korea, uh, Cambodia, mm. and yeah, it is. It, it's a different feeling. It makes you. Uh, perhaps empathize for those who live in the United States yeah, and see constantly white people everywhere. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. Um, and especially like not speaking the language as well, which like, mm. you, you know, you, you try and courteously learn a bit, but it's a fucking hard language. And there are, well, I, I, I'll do my hot take now. Four alphabets is too many alphabets. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know if they're... Okay, I know that the two, Kanji and the other one... Kanji uh, and Katakana, and then Hiragana, and then there's Romanji, which doesn't really count. That's just, like, the transliteration into Latin letters. uh Uh-huh. But, so, basically, Katakana... Kanji is the uh, Chinese characters. Katakana is the, like, the old-school Japanese characters. And then Hiragana is used for, like, loan words, but they still have a full alphabet for loan word. Anyway... I learned the Korean I agree. Alphabet. Three alphabets is too much. I didn't learn Korean, but I learned the <laughs> Korean alphabet so that I could be like, I can read what that word says. So at least when I'm going to a restaurant, I know that it's the right <laughs> restaurant. We were Googling, like, what does the outside of this restaurant looks like? Because otherwise I have no idea what I'm looking at. Street view for the win. Basically. But like, you know, unlike the, you know, I, I, I have a Google phone. Yeah, um, so that has a green. that has like a translate function, but Did the problem is, is like if it does work, but if you're looking for a restaurant, it translates the name of the restaurant, which obviously like Google Maps <laughs> doesn't do. So I'm like, I don't know what the lucky flower is supposed to look like in fucking Japanese. So yeah, anyway, Japan, the, everything was amazing. Korean food is incredible. My best meal was in uh, Kanazawa, weirdly, out of all the places I went, um, in just like an izakaya, which is like the, the inns where they serve you like small plates. Mm-hmm. So that was good as fuck. Had wagyu, 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 whatever, beef, um, and sushi, amazing. Everything was great. Uh, yeah, you heard it highly, here. Ben likes recommend. those robotic toilets. That, do you know what? Actually, the <laughs> toilets are incredible. Like every, like even like there's public bathrooms like every couple blocks, and they all oh, have God. like heated seats and built-in bidets. Like they're living in the 25th yeah. century. I get it. Hell yeah, I get it. But Benedict, um, anyway, how was St. Louis? <laughs> it was St. Louis for two weeks. That's what it was. It was St. Louis. Uh, moving on from that. Yeah, Benedict, you probably know what it is we do here on this program. Some folks. Yeah folks who have never had wagyu beef in japan uh they might not know exactly what it is we do here on the show and them i would say this is the show where we go deep 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative literature in between taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make america hate again start us off benedict do you have oh you already gave your hot take for the week yeah you sorry what's yours sorry um, yeah my bad a-, a good hairbrush is a decent investment no, it's uh, not. You're a liar and a thief. <laughs> I finally reached that list. So, like, I've been letting the hair grow out for a while now. It's longer yeah, than I it see, was I in college. I see the top knot. I it's, see it. Yeah, it's, it's longer than it was in college. I turn my head so you can see it, and I'm looking away from the microphone. I, I, I recognize it from the samurai paintings that they had in Japan. The and, top and, knot that you've, that you've got going on. <laughs> oh, you need to watch Blue-Eyed Samurai. So good. So fucking okay. good. Uh, but... Uh, uh, it's at that level where I have to actually do like hair care now. Mm. Like I have to take care of it or it becomes an even bigger pain in the ass. Um, and I spent like 25 minutes walking through target looking for hairbrushes. I could not figure out where they were because I forgot that that sort of thing is only kept in the women's section. Okay. <laughs> I had to go there to find it. Okay, That's so you, you bought yourself a women's hairbrush. I bought a hairbrush. It is an asexual hairbrush. It's a, asexual. A, 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 Non-gendered. It is an, as Josh would say, androgynous <laughs> hairbrush. 
It's right here. I got it right here. Uh, because uh, I like not having tangles in my hair. That's it. It's a simple one this week. Beautiful. I spent two weeks in St. Louis without you. Do you expect me to bring gold? What do you, yeah, you expect have, me to have you? have had you? nothing to sharpen the, the wits. Also, they're really fun to play with. Like, you know, okay. just playing around with the hairbrush. It's got, yeah. They're all squishy and stuff. I'm a, I'm a big fidgeter, so I, yeah. I get that. Oh, it's basically a fidget toy. I just yeah. realized that's why I've been playing with it all day. <laughs> that makes sense. Good for your ADHD. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict, on to the next what is on your bookshelf this week. Uh, Tokyo Vice, and very Japan-themed this week. Wow. Uh, which is the, it's a memoir of an American uh, reporter on the police beat in Japan. I was going to joke about it being the follow-up to Tokyo Drift. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's Miami Vice's sequel, actually. It's um, all about family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, it's good. It's uh, it, it's just a it's a, a rip roaring read of corruption and yakuza and all that stuff. So it's good. It's fun. Uh, you would go to Japan and read a book to make you scared of being in Japan. I was I, I was never scared. <laughs> I'm sure was, you were. I was. I it feels very safe as mm-hmm. a country. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they haven't done is reckoned with their role in World War Two in any way. <laughs> we went. To- <laughs> We went to a museum where there was like the history of Japan and they just they got to they got to nineteen like thirty and then they were like and then in nineteen sixty like oh okay. <laughs> That's the okay. So uh the, the RTS game I referenced earlier that I've been playing um is Company of Heroes and it's actually my bookshelf item this week. Okay. It is made by a Japanese studio. It's made it's not Sega, I forget who it is. Uh, no, Sega is an American studio. I forget who makes it, but it's one of the Japanese studios. Um, they have three of these games so far. None of them cover the Japanese campaign. They're all the the European, the European theater for yeah. World War II. And I keep going, I wonder if they're going to get to the J- Japanese campaign. Pro- I wonder not. if that's going to happen. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I would guess probably not. But It uh, was really funny also when we went to Korea. Like literally on the train, in, like we were on the express train from the airport. And there's like a propaganda video being like, Japan stole these islands from us. And they know the truth. <laughs> and they refuse to give them back. Just in English, <laughs> like as if I have the power to be like, hey, Japan. <laughs> okay, yeah, it is Sega. It is a Sega game, and okay. Sega is a Japanese studio. Um, so, yeah, I don't, who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of, like, an old arcade cabinet manufacturer. Is an American one that I was thinking of. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Atari? Is that Japanese? That might be who I'm thinking of, because Atari and Sega, those names, just for me, like, they, they have a feel to them. They both feel very similar. Atari yeah. and Sega do. And Atari was the, yeah, uh, Bushnell, uh, the Bushnell guy who founded it in uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, but, yeah, it's weird how Japan... And Germany sort of have opposite, maybe not opposite, but very different reactions. Yeah, I mean, it, it would literally II. be like if there was like a, a a reconstruction museum in the South that got to like 1859, and it was like, and then the slaves were free Benedict. in 1870. I bet you, I can find that museum. <laughs> Actually, you can. Like how? How did that happen? Where did, how did we get here? Who knows, Benedict? Anyways, cool. yeah, we, we managed to do all that stuff out of order. We're a little out of go, uh, Yeah, we're, look, we're back from a long two weeks off. Uh, we did, did you actually miss take us? some time off. Uh, <laughs> and we're always fucked up when we come back from a break or something like this. We always are. I, honestly, we're just always fucked up, always. True, very days. true. Also very true. But yes, uh, my bookshelf this week, go play Company of Heroes 3. It's very fun. It's got a nice little meta game. Uh, that's like a grand strategy style game, something a little more different, uh, adding some complexity onto it. Play it. It's fun. On to housekeeping this week. Benedict, 
Remember to rate, interview us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBC Pod on Twitter and at NYGBC Ben. Uh, updates. Uh, I don't have any updates. I just realized. Okay. <laughs> We've been gone. There's nothing to update. Uh, I've been. I've actually even been staying off Twitter recently because I as soon that. as I Elon tweeted out some straight up anti-Semitic conspiracy theory bullshit, I was like, maybe. There might be a moral compunction for me to keep from giving this guy advertising revenue, even yeah. if it's just pennies. That's true. But also, like, when we abandon the site, it just gets taken over by the weirdos. Yeah. So, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a balance to be drawn. I'm not with. abandoning it because my theory is that he's going to fold within a year and sell it off to somebody who will just And then you'll back. be the only one just left. Like, yes, this is my <laughs> platform. I'll be king of the anthill. I'll be king of the, the trash kingdom. That's what I will be. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, inductees into the spooky world, new world order, Benedict. Uh, this week we have one, um, and this one, uh, goes out to a patron of ours, a fr- uh, friend of the show, uh, who has recently lost an animal. Um, Aww. we're very sad for you and we want to give you all of our love and well wishes. Uh, Mockingbird Nation, we are very Whoa. sorry for your loss and also you are now part of our. No, new world, spooky world order. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was so sad. Hopefully that gives you a laugh <laughs> in these trying times. <laughs> but if you would like to join, we're so out of sorts today. We're, no, I'm this, fine. This is going to be a fucked up episode. <laughs> this is good as I always Benedict am. is going to be three hours long and you're going to be crying by the <laughs> end of it. Uh, Twitter posts about the show on social media. You know all the things. The five-star review, donation to a charity, become a patron, get my attention with something good. That's how you become Spooky World New World Order. Blah. Benedict. With all that out of our way, we continue our mm. book review of Manhood by Josh Hawley, who sucks. Uh, I didn't write <laughs> one for this week, as you yep. can tell. And Benedict, we also don't have a clip this week. And you know yeah, why? Yeah, it's kind of a long chapter. Yes, that was exactly the reason why. We have gone an hour and a half on 12-page chapters in this yeah. book. When I saw one that was 20-something, I'm like, no, we don't have time for that today. <laughs> that is and correct. now, sitting here as we're recording, we have already wasted about 15 minutes say, at the beginning of this wasted. episode. I, I, I say uh, <laughs> uh, laid the groundwork for a phenomenal wonder, return. There's got to be some pool of listeners out there who skip through our whole opening preamble. Oh, yeah, our banter is probably really annoying to like a lot of people. <laughs> There's got to be some people who are just like, I'm There's not probably here for some that. people I, who just listened to the first 15 <laughs> minutes and then are like, fuck the rest of I this. just want an update on their lives. I really don't care about these books. I just hope they're doing well. Uh, maybe nice. there are. If that's you, um, well, Thanks. then you heard this part. So <laughs> Let cool. us know. You can stop listening now. We're going to start the chapter. <laughs> exactly. But later this week, we, get, we, go, we bring to, wow, I told you this is going <laughs> to yep. be rough. Chapter five, husband. Do you have an alternate chapter title for us? Yeah, it's uh, Abraham. That's mm, it. That's lazy. Uh, I have several. Benedict. Uh, first, porn facts with Josh, which is also the name of our new podcast coming out mm. next week. Porn facts with Josh. We have to find someone named Josh. Benedict. Mm. Yeah, put that. Oh, on your okay. List We're not just calling ourselves Josh. Okay. Yeah. Put that. On I your can list. do a Josh bit. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, next, oh God, I can't keep taking shots every time he says porn. Uh, and my last alternate chapter title this week, Josh Hawley supports polyamory. Uh, and it begins, Benedict. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. There is, I do have a one moment in here where I kind of have to hand it to him. 
And really? I think you probably know what it is, yeah. Really? We'll yeah. see. We'll see when we get to it. I can't think it's... off the top of my head of what it might be. Oh, it's when he just calls Andrew Tate a scumbag. Okay, like, yeah. Like, just... <laughs> you know, uh, broken clock, all that and whatever. Yeah. It begins. My grandparents, Harold and Mabel, moved from their farmhouse to town just about the time my parents were married. Town was Scandia, Kansas, so named for the Scandinavian immigrants who had settled it a century and a half prior. Uh, it's not actually named after the immigrants. It was prior named New Scandinavia. That's different than being named after the immigrants coming from Scandinavia. Small point. I know it's a nitpick, mm. but it's Josh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up. Uh, Cornfields came right up to the edges of the yards. My grandparents' house was a white two-story eye house, as historians call them, with second-floor gables and a deep front porch, a style popular with farmer. And it's just more of this same bullshit where he's trying to create an image of himself. Farm farm bona fides. Yes, the farm bona fides of the elite college rower and fucking (laughs) Supreme Court clerk. And yeah. senator. Uh, if I list, I, I think I've missed one of his prior jobs. Hate group lawyer, right? I forgot that one. But skipping over it a little ways, he says, quote, My grandparents had six children, my mother being the youngest, and 15 grandchildren. So the family all gathered did tend to fill up a place. What a hokey fucking way of phrasing that. Just so the fa- when the family was all gathered, it did tend I to know. fill up a place. So I had to read up. that like three times before I got one, because there's an M dash thrown in there. Yeah. I kept trying to figure out what the fuck is he doing when he's writing this. But this is the part that really matters, Benedict. <clears throat> was it that grandma had made chicken noodles? That is exactly the part that matters. <laughs> that is exactly the part that matters, because he's going to talk about a random day from when he was a child. He said... Grandma had made... Actually, was it his birthday? Right, yes. His it birthday. It was his birthday. His birthday. Yeah. Grandma had made chicken noodle soup, her locally famous dish and my favorite. So many fucked up things in that sentence. One, chicken noodle soup is not famous. It's not famous. And Josh... Uh, in Scandia, Kansas, it could be. <laughs> I really hope that Josh eventually finds out from his parents that it was just Campbell's coming out of the can. That's just really what he liked. He liked all the MSG. That's what was really great about it. Uh, but also, um, no, why would that be your favorite, Josh? There are a billion different foods better than chicken noodle soup. It's also just weirdly, really, really weirdly written. And like all grandma, of it is. Grandma had made chicken noodle soup, her locally famous dish, dish and my favorite, comma, and mashed potatoes, comma, and a birthday cake of some variety, comma, and a home, and a pound cake, no comma, and homemade rye bread, <laughs> comma. <laughs> He's not a fan of the Oxford comma. Which was another of her scan... Yeah, he puts a comma in every other... Which was another of her signature items, comma, being Scandinavian. There are nine commas in that sentence, and only three of them should be there. Okay, Bennett, I've noticed this about Josh. His weird preamble sections. He intentionally throws in weird phrasing and words yeah, that it's hokey. don't make sense. He thinks s- he's yeah. Nathaniel Hawthorne, that's why. That's exactly... But then it switches... When he gets to like the shit, let that me he get thinks let me matters. get real with you and yeah. speak in short sentences. Yeah, yeah. Youth pastor sitting backward over folding chair. Yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> it is that energy. Yeah, of with like the fly you can, this first bit is him rolling his sleeves up and you know, then getting uh, getting getting the chair and then he sits down and gets real with us. Yeah, man. I was down in the dumps. I spent all my money on the weed. <laughs> 
<laughs> on one oar for rowing and I, I, like, I, I was just i was just going in circles because i didn't have anyone with me because i was a man <laughs> on my own i only had one oar and i just i couldn't i couldn't go straight i don't know why you made me think about it just now but that made me think of uh pat oswalt's bit about the uh, <laughs> the the um uh, support group for people for overeaters or whatever the, the bit is oh yeah i was down in mexico with this uh overweight uh prostitute and we got a box of Utz pretzels, not that Snyder shit. <laughs> I don't know why it's what me, makes me think. Of. I, uh, my, mine's, mine's a call forward to further in the episode because, you know, a man can only be a man mm. if he's doing things for other people. Mm-hmm. And a man rowing on his own is not a real man, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, but so the only, only reason I read that was for the chicken noodle soup. Weird yep, bits sorry. The, and the and weird now, language, it's so and bad. And now we've gone on a tangent. Skipping ahead, he says, quote, What I would only later come to appreciate is that the house and the life it harbored represented what my grandparents, Harold and Mabel, had built together. By the time I came along the next to last of their grandchildren, they were already nearly 70, and their life together had been long. The home I loved so much and the times we had there were really a reflection of their marriage. Not that it was perfect or in some way ideal. I actually, well, we remember his grandfather was laying pipe all around town. We do remember that part, yeah. I I think it was the same grandfather. I don't know if it is. I actually know very little of my grandparents' marriage, but the simple fact that it was, which is italicized, and that they together endured. So that's... What? I can't... Oh, that makes no sense. No. He's just like... It, it's literally just like, home is where the grandparents are, and that's, <laughs> that's it. Like, it's like... Yeah. You just put in one sentence what it took him three to say and not yeah. really actually get to the point of. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Skipping down. Uh, he, he literally says home is where the heart is at like every two pages oh in this God. chapter. I, how many live, laugh, love uh, signs are in Josh's home? Seven. Uh, uh, decorated pillows. Uh, Seven. <laughs> Continuing. The Bible, that taboo book for today's elites, makes a claim about marriage many of those same elites cannot understand. That it comes with a promise. The promise of It's another one of those weird things where he's trying to retrofit everything into Eden and Genesis. But also... But it gets weird this time. It does get... Does it get weird because of the part he overlooks, Benedict? Am I alone in thinking that? Where Cain kills Abel, yeah. Okay, a little bit of that. (laughs) Little bit of the slave who Abraham, who he's going to be talking about mostly in this chapter, slept with to have another child. Mainly that part. Mainly that part that yeah, doesn't really but, get like, discussed. His wife also has a child, so who cares? Yeah. It was the same same difference. Oh boy, this chapter got weird for me, and I really enjoyed it. I really, yeah. really enjoyed it. Because he continues, and he says, quote, When God calls a new Adam in the Genesis stories to help undo what Adam did, he calls him to be a husband. No, he doesn't. Nope. Like, very famously, he doesn't. He calls him to be a father. And that's the whole thing in this chapter. Is everything, This chapter is called Husband. Mm-hmm. And everything that he praises Abraham for in this chapter. And the next chapter is called Father. So it's not like he's just trying to find a place for this. Everything he praises Abraham for, for being a husband, he should be praising him for being a father, is what it is. It's yeah. very weird. Would have made more sense, wouldn't it? But I think he might have realized that you can't really that hold Abraham, up Abraham tries to kill his child. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really hold Abraham up as a good father figure. Yeah. Um, one of his children he tried to kill, and another one he abandoned in the desert to die. So yeah. maybe not the best father. Only because fig- God told him to. That's so. mm, that is also true. I guess that makes it all okay for Josh. Probably. Yep, 
Yeah, I guess it does. Um, this new Adam is Abraham, the famous father of many nations. Is that in the Bible, or is that just a stretch that he has made? Like I think the new it is Adam. in a nursery song that they teach Christian children. No, but like the new father Adam Abraham, thing. Father Abraham, and many Many sons had Father Abraham. That's not Yeah, no, I get that. But the new Adam thing, like that's oh. not a biblical thing. Um, you know, I didn't bother looking at that at all when I was doing my preparation for today's episode. But let's just do a Google here. The new Adam. Uh, let's find out we... together. Okay, there's like a website called guardthedeposit.com, which is the number one search result. Cool. Um, from a uh, post they had in 2013. Is that so... Abraham's seed? Is it about Abraham's sperm? Is that the deposit? <laughs> Might be. Who knows? Uh, it continues. And what this story reveals is that if a man wants to fulfill his mission and meet his purpose as a man, he will have to give himself away. He will have to learn to open... It's the same fucking thing he said last chapter. He talked last chapter about giving of yourself. It was the same fucking shit. He's just about got a new metaphor and this receiving time. And receiving <laughs> and giving. He's just got a new metaphor this it's time. It's not even a new metaphor, really. Uh, it's a... Okay. It's... The, the A side of the metaphor is different now. Right? <laughs> the B side is the same, but the A side is different now. Right? We all remember doing those diagrams about metaphors when you were in grade school, sure. right? Like, here's the thing, and it meant to be this, and blah, blah, blah. We all remember doing that sort of... I read The Great Gatsby, uh, but it continues. He will have to learn to open his life to another and bind his fate to hers. He will have to go outside himself and beyond his desires, his wants, his interests. He will have to learn that his true self is found only in relationship with another. And boy, did it this, not... Okay. This whole chapter could be, I could shorten this to, hey man, we live in a society. Like, that's <laughs> it. That's it. It's like, no man is an island. We live in a society. That's all this is. He's like, hey, we don't fulfill our full potential if we cut ourselves off from the world. Yeah. Okay. Well, Josh is an island. Okay, but no, more specific than that. He, okay, here's the thing. This chapter is supposed to be about being a husband, right? There mm. is so little in here that Josh says about actually what that means. Yeah. He just uses the same vague talking points. Give of yourself, right? That sort of shit over and over again in this chapter. There's very little that you could even glean anything from beyond the vague platitudes in this chapter. Uh, even when he gets to the stories about himself and his wife, the one story we have is just like how they met and how they fell for each other. Great. There was nothing to take from that one. The other story we get is of the time that they found out that their kid had that disease that yeah. he made the ad about where he lied about being in favor of protecting pre-existing conditions. Mm. Those are the only two stories, and there's nothing in there. Really, no. that second story should also be in the father chapter. Yeah. It should not be in the husband chapter. Well, the way he frames it is like, and it was hard for Ross as a couple. Yes, Which I'm sure it the, was. Okay, we'll get to it when we get to it. But okay. the resolution is entirely about him. Yeah. The resolution of that story is entirely about him. The beginning of that story is entirely about him. The resolution of that story is entirely... It's all about him. There is no husband in that whatsoever. Nope. But it continues. Not all men become husbands, in fact. Weird... Mm, that's a weird... I just... That one sentence there, not all men become husbands, in fact. Well, but it's Drop the in like, fact. Just it, fucking it's weird. Like, it's to say you can be a husband without being married. Like, Do, I think it's husbands in fact. Like, is that like what a, he means? I think so, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's weird. Don't write like that, John. <laughs> Stop it. Don't write like that. <laughs> but all men can learn a husband's virtues. And to use the So this Im- is what I'm saying. Husbandry husbandry. Is it like animal husbandry? Being Ben Lex is our as our resident husbandrist. <laughs> Husbandalist, as they call me. Uh, it's a metaphor, is all it is. I'm actually only metaphorically. Uh, Everything's right. a metaphor. <laughs> We're losing our goddamn minds and we are two pages yep. in. <laughs> three, three. <laughs> fine. I'm just going to continue. Yep. And to fine. use the imagery of the Bible, if a man wants to subdue the darkness, if he wants to build the temple, he must. He must. Learn a husband's virtues. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I got that. It's just I'm reflecting on his poor paragraph structure. But it's poor prose, yes. Yes, it is. In that, see, the only, the, the interesting parts of Josh's writing always begin with the epicureans right yes. as soon as he says the epicureans we know we get something that's when i start something highlighting. fucking insane yeah when i break out the fucking highlighter because he says quote today our epicurean age teaches a different set of lessons against commitment against sacrifice against the idea that one can truly become oneself only by giving oneself to another marriage is in decline in america and an increasingly sharp kevin Mm-hmm. Do you know what else is in decline in America and an increasingly sharp one? Horse and buggy ownership? Yes. Also, divorce. Yeah, sure. Cool. Funny that. Fewer people are getting married that don't want to be, and thus fewer people are getting divorced. Oh, God. I wonder if that might be... It'd be hilarious if that was the source of, like, his misreading... Either a misreading, intentional or not, right, of, like, marriage statistics. Yeah, we'll get to that. Like, the number of marriages, like, go down... But the number of married people, because I'm thinking about what he cited in particular. He gave a very uh, convoluted, we'll get to it, but he gave a very convoluted wording Mm -hmm. of like, are married or had been married or have been married. Mm -hmm. And like, that means they're divorced. (laughs) Like, (laughs) So this brings us to our first subsection, Benedict, the redemption of marriage. Too marriage, too furious. (laughs) Uh, and yeah, it's about the Genesis story, blah, 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 Eden, Adam, we all read it, they went out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and apparently the question is, what do we do about the darkness and the world outside of the garden? And he answers, but Genesis- like Adam, Adam, is Adam married? I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, as we all remember, Genesis 5, 6, 4, said, and Adameth putteth a ring upon it. Because Adam, he liked Adam it. liked it, and thus, <laughs> and thus, verily gave unto her a ring. <laughs> exactly. We all remember that phrase of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but Josh says Genesis answers that query strangely enough by turning to a man named Abraham, or Abram, as he is first called, a nomadic herder who b- appears in the story from nowhere. Yeah, it's nice to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. they're just pulling characters just, out of nowhere. Just yeah. Some guy, <laughs> exactly. Uh, we don't. He even says we don't know much about him otherwise. Besides this seminal fact, pun intended, I think he is childless. Huh? Huh? Yeah, but huh? he's all, uh, okay. First of all, he also married, old. Ma- married, but still living with his farmer's ba- family. Cuck. Um, <laughs> every time. Okay, okay, we've talked about this before. I know cuck is one of your favorite insults, and every time you bring it out, 
<laughs> I very, very rarely say it apart from when I'm talking about weird things. <laughs> I know, but it's just so funny coming out of your mouth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just love it so much. <laughs> I very rarely pronounce all the all the letters in a word, that's why. Exactly. It's a nice uh, hard ending to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but Josh tells us, without an heir, without a son, he has no future of his own to look to. The family inheritance will go to another kinsman when he dies. The family name will continue via another man. And Abraham's life will not be remembered. The only immortality the ancient pagans expected, family lineage, will be denied him. And that's a weird thing for Josh to call out as like an ancient pagan thing. Because it is the right, normally, who are obsessed with like lineage. Yeah. And my name, my name must live through the centuries. Like they're the ones who typically obsess over that. Although, like you did mention, he does also shit on Andrew Tate in this chapter. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that was before or after. Well, it must have been before, right? Because Tucker sat down with him, like, the last couple of months, right? Yeah, although, uh, I mean, it, re- it references Tate's arrest. So that they must have put that in the book. Because that happened at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about, like, when Andrew Tate became a cause celeb on the right is like when Tucker Carlson and the people started going to bat for I don't know. I think which was, was much like, more he, recent. I don't know. I don't know if it was, because it talks about his arrest in Romania. Which was last year. Yeah, yeah, but I think he was like he was big before that. Oh, anyway, yeah, whatever, no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying that at, at this point, uh, he would probably not put that in his book because so many people love Andrew Maybe. Tate on the right. That's what I'm saying, is now he wouldn't put that part in his book. So skipping a ways ahead, he says, quote, and the starting point for all of this will be Abraham's marriage. No. Mm, or it's will fuck, it be, It's having a child. Or will it be the slave that his wife gave him to have sex with? Will it be that? Because that's actually Abraham's first child, is the child he had with Hagar in the book. Yes, this happens in the book, people, if you've never read it. Uh, raping of slaves to have a child, to be an heir. This is, this is that Bible that all the Christians want in the schools. That's what's in there. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's not. And again, yeah, you're right. It's not about husband stuff. This is, this should all be in the father chapter. Josh is just bad at writing. And I think Josh is bad at writing, Benedict. I I just don't, uh, I, I don't think he had enough of a tangible point to put everything he wanted to. I mean, I'll be interested to see what he puts in the father chapter. I will tell you, I peeked ahead and it's kind of boring, but we'll get to it when we get to it. We'll get to it when we get to it. Uh, But blah, 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 everything. But the the way he tries to wrap this in is to say that this son, this heir that he wants, it only happens because of his wife, because they're, you know, married, I guess. That's why God gives him a child, even though he had a child first with the slave. Well, you know, um, it's, it's all because of the wife. Because wife are baby-making machines. And you ha- you got to have baby-making machines. It's very weird. I don't understand why this is mm. in the father section, uh, the husband section, but whatever. But Josh says, we are conditioned by our Epicurean culture. Those are always my flags. As soon as I see that, I'm like, okay, this is the portion I'm going to be reading for sure. They, he part. says Epicurean at the start of every one of the next three paragraphs. Oh, so no, four paragraphs. And all of them are highlighted, Benedict. Do you yeah. see? Okay, yeah, I do. <laughs> We are conditioned by our Epicurean culture to consider our lives as solitary endeavors and manhood when we are allowed to speak of it at all as a solitary pursuit. Just think about the fucking hyperbole in that sentence alone. That is enough to kill an elephant. That, that, is, that is a full chamber there. 
American writers have been preaching that gospel to men at least since Henry David Thoreau retreated to Walden Pond. Yeah, Henry David Thoreau, the famous Epicurean thinker. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. So because of Thoreau... The Epicureans today also are, are telling whose are, fucking mum used to come and do his washing for him. So like, <laughs> leave it. But okay, Benedict. Oh fucking K. Um, <laughs> so much to unpack for a moment. Yeah. First, it is the Epicurean left who are telling men to be solitary. Really, Josh? On what fucking planet? On what fucking planet? No, just no. Just absolutely no. Second, yes, the Thoreau line is fantastic. It's it's hilarious. I love it so much. Uh, and that brings us to the next subsection, Jebedict. Uh A man for others. Or not a, there's no A on the beginning. Just man for others. I said a man for others because that was the slogan of the Jesuit high school I went to for two years. Uh, so, yeah. I don't it, like that at all. <laughs> I, you know my past. <laughs> it begins, quote, The Epicurean ethic that suffuses our culture insists just the opposite, that a man's life is his own creation, or should be. Here is the basic message repeated a thousand different ways through a thousand media, television, film, school curricula. Your identity is something for you to construct alone by yourself, or something you construct alone by yourself and for yourself. Your life is for you. Your identity is made by you. And the only way to be an individual is to put the pieces of your life and identity together exactly as you want them, according to your own lights. That is how you become authentic and free. Or so the story goes. What a weird thing to be mad at, right? Yeah. Just, hey, live your life, man. (laughs) How dare you, you Epicurean leftist? (laughs) Yeah, not that that's the basic libertarian position. Like. Oh, I mean, Josh doesn't pretend to be a libertarian. No, I know, I know. That's I very quickly discovered yeah. that. Yeah, very um, much, very much open about his fascism. Uh, he continues, At precisely the same time, today's Epicureans tell men they are, as men, the biggest threat our society faces. No, they don't. Um, I, Josh is. So maybe he's just used to hearing that about himself. Maybe that's the answer to why he thinks all these things about what the left says. That the male longing for adventure and heroism is dangerous. That a man's desire for accomplishment is oppressive. That masculinity is toxic inherently. So whatever identity men construct and life they make had better take all that into account. It had better screen out the objectionable elements of masculinity, which are, by liberals reckoning, most of them. Oh my god, was that all one sentence with semicolons? No, there were two. There were two there. I almost, for a second, yeah. I thought it was one gigantic fucking sentence. But that Benedict, we're going to talk about Fight Club. Yeah. Bring it up, Fight Club. Because, Benedict, as you know, uh, the Fight Club movie... Uh, is not based on a book. I, I actually don't for, know if he knows if it's a book. He doesn't I don't mention he does. the book at all. He certainly does not. No, that's the first thing I noticed. But Fight Club is part of the Epicurean left scheme... Um, ah, yes. To destroy Chuck, men. Chuck Palahniuk, the famous leftist, <laughs> Epicurean. Um, yeah, that's part of the left scheme to destroy men. And I think he just got scared when he watched the opening and they used the term bourgeoisie. Um, I Maybe. think that might be also, what he got scared just, of. I mean, his characterization of it is, is frankly wrong. I mean, like, it's it it's not feminizing or emasculating. It's just that, like the the blase of of 90s like 
society mm-hmm. is is boring and grinds you down and there's nothing that like makes you feel alive anymore because everything's the same and that's why they have to go fight each other in fucking basement <laughs> garages also um i mean a large part of that movie on my understanding a large part of the influence in the book and the movie was Polonik being in the closet as he was writing it uh, and and maybe putting some of that into the whole story, that being part of the themes that were going on there. Didn't know that. Okay. Oh, well, that's a fun fact you learned today. Yes. Uh, Every day is a school day. <laughs> and, boy, I just love that he brought that up so much. But then, Bella, but yes. Yeah, why? It's, it's like a <laughs> throwaway line about the movie Fight Club that I, he massively misinterprets. I wonder if he thinks that Fight Club is in favor of all the stuff. <laughs> you sh- that Brad you should not give did. in to your inner Tyler Durden because that's bad. And I he's wonder... not the kind of person you should be forming an alliance with. You need other people around you, but it needs to be your wife, not Tyler Durden. <laughs> I wonder if Josh knows what happens at the end of the story. I really do wonder what happens. Like, does he? I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. Who has any fucking goddamn clue? Uh, but anyways, Benedict, it goes on. And yes, this is the part where he starts talking about Andrew Tate. <laughs> where he is right about Andrew Tate. You don't have to give it to him. You really no, don't have to no, give no. it to him. No, no, but you can say he's right. That's you fine. can say I'm he fine. is correct that Andrew Tate sucks, which is yep. the general gist of it. He talks about, he, he got quotes from some of the horrible He basically shit calls him a coward for like trafficking people which is right sure coward andrew tate see i said a mean thing about you and then i'm gonna go and and support all the things that you never mind um but benedict this is the only portion of this that i highlighted where he said quote every man who has been in a locker room recognizes the type the fake bravado the endless boasting those aren't the words of a man those are the words of a child pretending to be a man he thinks someone will like or respect. You can grab him by the pussy. Wait, was that? Oh, I, met, nope. I read a different different note. Different note in the book. Not gonna... Different type of locker room talk. Different kind. That's the good kind of locker room talk, mm. according to Josh. Yep. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I do want to reflect for a moment that there were, you know... A, a, it's weird to have Josh be correct on something. Yeah. And then what we're going to pivot to next in this chapter... (laughs) Abraham as the alternative to Andrew Taylor. Oh, okay. Yeah! Isn't that a weird turn? Isn't that a really fucking weird turn? It is is a hairpin turn. So here's a a, a misogynist ex-MMA fighter uh, who pretends to have a whole bunch of money he made playing poker, but actually just got inherited from his father before he went to prison and gave it to his son so that they wouldn't be able to take it. But... And then there's Abraham, possibly fictional character who inspired a couple of different religions. The juxtaposition could not be more jarring. Except that, you know what? Actually, I take it back. Both of them had slaves. Never mind. Um, uh, I think Andrew Tate could inspire a religion genuinely. Like, I think people are, people are very, like, we, there is a cult around Andrew Tate. I, I do have a plan to do, uh, like, a series on, like, the right masculinity and misogyny and, and all these sorts of people. It's going to come after I finally finish up the Charlottesville arc. I've, I've, mm. de- I've devoted to just getting that finished 
so that we can do other topics. And I don't have it on my mind of like, I need to like do this whole thing I had planned out. We're going to get to it. We're going to talk about him at some point. I definitely promise you that. But yes, so Abraham, Abraham is the alternative to these people. Abraham is not chasing pleasure, right? The lesson of Abraham is that you find the alternative, what you should be looking for, in giving yourself away. That's the lesson of Abraham. Because yeah, to quote the Red Hot Chili Peppers, give it away, give it away, <laughs> give it away in that. Oh, I was going to point out that he doesn't actually cite any examples of Abraham giving anything away. He doesn't even talk about Abraham trying to sacrifice his son. He doesn't no. even go to that point. Maybe yep. it's in the next chapter. Hopefully. Maybe. But I thought what, what you're talking about, Abraham's all about giving... What, how about an example, Josh? <laughs> I would like an example, please. Uh, but yes, we now get to the one section that like it was weird because it was just Josh talking about men and women. You get married and you work together and you live together and you do stuff. You know, you're friends and, and whatnot. And it, you, we didn't do the bit yet where it, like it, the only thing he really does in this chapter is criticize Abraham. Like sure. the only like tangible examples is like mm-hmm. he went to Egypt and pretended to be his wife's brother because he was. He scared. brings that up twice. Yeah, he brings it up twice. It's like the only tangible examples he gives are like Abraham not doing what he said. Benedict, uh, as it turns out, not a whole lot of good characters in the Bible to be um, to inspire you as an individual. Not a yeah. whole lot of good role models back then with all the slaves and whatnot. Turns out. Uh, but yes, now we get to the point where Josh starts talking about himself again, not his wife himself first, because first he's going to talk about how he used to move around a lot when he was younger and then, you know, went off to school and he went off and I didn't realize this cause I thought he was there longer when we talked about it. He was only teaching at that school in the UK for a year. That was yeah, it. and he, he definitely throws in and coaching. Yes, well. he does. Shut, shut the fuck up. You did okay, one year coaching, shut up. He says, quote, then a year teaching high school and coaching. Quote. That is the quote. Yes, I love uh-huh. that so much. But yeah, so he used to move around a lot and you know, everyone was supporting him, but they weren't actually going around with him because I guess Josh needs his mommy to move with him when he goes off to college, otherwise he's not gonna feel home or whatever it is and then he gets to finally talking about meeting his wife and you would expect that this story would lead into talking about how they support each other how they the 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 husband relationship interact something like that no none of it it's just literally the story of how they shared an office at the u.s supreme court and that's how they fell for each other that's literally it that's what we get there's like some, oh, yeah, and then, you know, we love being together and we uh, liked uh, uh, doing stuff and we decided to marry each other and, and uh, we were all happy ever after. That's it. There's nothing about him being a husband. It's just, I like my wife. Cool. Hey, Benedict, do you like your wife? Yeah. You can be honest. She doesn't listen. <laughs> Still, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's so fucking weird. But then, Benedict, best part of the chapter, easy. Next subsection, titled... Cheap sex. Mm. Porn! I feel like you're going to read all of this out. I have so much highlighting, Benedict. It begins. Married life will expose a man to hardship. All right. You can be certain of it. Seasons of difficulty and episodes of pain and family conflict will arise. It happens in every Porn! (laughs) Yes, this is the first part where he brings up the story of Abraham pretending he's not Sarah's wife. Or Sarah's husband. Abraham sneaking off to jacket. Like. <laughs> this is the first point where he's going to bring up that story. Why? Doesn't exactly make sense to me. But he, <laughs> he portrays it as this is Abraham. 
looking for some false security. That's what Abraham's looking for by pretending to Which be Sarah's Which is the brother. same as porn. He says, quote, Benedict, there are many kinds of false security to which men retreat, many Egypts to which they flee. One that is particularly rampantly popular with men today is pornography. Mm-hmm. Pornography is the Egypt to which we flee, Benedict. <laughs> I feel like Egypt may have something to say about that. I'm going to use that round. I'm going to go uh, flee to Egypt. Give me about 20 minutes. <laughs> That's a good euphemism. It puts an entirely new spin on that Disney animated. Uh, what the, the fucking movie I'm thinking of? Uh, what was the story? Of it's DreamWorks. The... It's Prince of Egypt. Prince but... of Egypt. That's the one I'm thinking of. It's not Disney. That's whatever. I, they probably own DreamWorks now, don't they? I, I feel like so. they do. Even if they don't, I feel like they do, and they probably okay, that's do. all that matters. The vibes are all that matters. <laughs> vibes are all that matters, exactly. This is true not least because it is rampantly available on a scale as never before. Many of the most popular websites in the world are, by an order of magnitude, porn sites. And yes, he has a citation there. That is citation seven to... These are the most popular websites right now, and they might surprise you on Tech Radar. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Look, as a human being existing in this world, Pornhub being the number one website in the universe is not surprising to anyone. It's really just not. I just, I just don't think it is the number one website. That's what, no, well, then what's no number one? Oh, Google's number one because it's everyone's landing page. YouTube has a way big, you, way more people are on YouTube than on Pornhub. Do, do I need to pull up a list of the most uh, visited websites right now? Think about how many views things have on YouTube versus on Pornhub. Benedict, I will say this. Um, an hour on YouTube counts as one visit. Several five-minute visits to Pornhub. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Okay, I got it. Google is number one. Uh, okay, you're right. YouTube's number two. Facebook, Instagram, X, Baidu. I don't know. Oh, it's a Chinese website. Chinese, yeah. Uh, Wikipedia, Yahoo, Yandex, WhatsApp, X videos. That's above Pornhub? Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Uh, there you go. It's uh, but it's number one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, it's like number eight or something, something like that. Ninth most visited website in the world. But point being, Benedict, no one is surprised that people like pornography. No. Nobody is surprised by that fact. It's just the world we live in. But he continues. Uh, blah blah blah. Porn makes a lot of money. Blah blah blah. To be sure, porn has been around in one form or another from time immemorial. But not like this. At the click of a button, at the tap of a phone, available to be watched or downloaded or streamed anywhere at they any used moment. To put it on the fucking frescoes. <laughs> they literally like, did. And I sent you pictures of those I've frescoes. I've seen them. <laughs> but no, you cut off the line I love from the end of that sentence, which Sorry. was with movie like quality. <laughs> and I really just like. <laughs> and it's live. <laughs> We know Josh is not a fan of amateurs. Uh, he really, he really likes the full professional setup with lights and everything. He like, he likes all that going on. And then he continues, as sociologist Mark Regnerus has remarked, men can see more flesh in five minutes than their great grandfathers could see in a lifetime. He is not exaggerating. Have you asked your great grandfather, Josh? How much flesh? Your grandpa was laying pipe all over town, <laughs> Josh. 
We all know. Mark Regneris, though, Benedict. That is an interesting name, and that is a, well, not interesting guy, just really a weird cretin. Uh, but he is a professor of sociology at the University of Texas, Austin. Um, he is also a highly criticized um, fascist bigot. Uh, who, I'm just going to read you a paragraph off his Wikipedia page, which I thought pretty much summed him up pretty well. Quote, In March 2019, Regneris joined other conservative writers to reject the pre-Trump conservative consensus, which combined mm. libertarian economics with cultural liberalism. They alleged American conservatism had surrendered to the pornographization of daily life, to the culture of death, and to the cult of competitiveness, and a poisonous and censorious multiculturalism. The statement went on to criticize the cutting of the link between sex and gender, legal abortion, a borderless world fueling attempts to displace American citizens, and business leaders and political parties which held investors and job creators above workers and citizens. It called for greater emphasis on local communities and prioritizing work over consumption. So he's a communist. Cool. Um... <laughs> You know, if Josh didn't like the guy, he could use that last little bit there to claim he was. He would be wrong. He's a fascist. That's actually what Regneris is. What I would but, say uh, is that if you're going to write all this anti-porn stuff, you cannot have the facial hair that you have. That he has. You pulled up a picture of him? I did, yeah. He's a, a goofy. Picture. He's a goofy-looking weirdo, isn't it's he? A, it's a, how do you get your facial hair to look like that? That's, that's so weird. He, ironically, Benedict, he has 90s porn hair. He has 90s he porn facial hair. That's what he's got. What he's got going on. Uh, but yeah, so this Mark Regneris guy, this is the guy who Josh cites the most in this chapter. If you look at the citations and the end notes, it's just Ibid, 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 Ibid over and over again for this Regneris guy, who is, as I mentioned, a fascist uh, and who published, uh, for example, a same sex relationship research paper claiming that children in same sex homes have worse outcomes, which has been just fucking destroyed by actual academics who give a shit uh, for just. I mean, it's pretty apparent what his motivations are. Uh, the, the last part of that thing from the Wikipedia that I didn't read for you uh, was, quote, Regarding the connection between one's faith and the activities of Christian professors, Regneris said in an alumni profile that, I believe that if your faith matters, it should inform what you teach and what you research. So pretty clear, I think, that uh, might be putting some ideology into his uh, academia where the two don't belong. But... <laughs> So Mark Regneris, that's where we're getting a lot of these weird statistics we're going to get next, beginning with Benedict. By the numbers, 43% of American men report watching pornography in the past week. Good job, fellas. Um, <laughs> well done, lads. Give yourself a one-handed high five to celebrate. <laughs> if you limit the data to men aged 18 to 39, the number climbs to, and that's where you'd expect the number to be drastically different, right? But no, 46% up from 42 and fully 24% of men report their last porn usage as today or yesterday. That is, within the last 24 hours. So, fun. Lots of people watch porn. That's cool. Josh, whatever. Uh, he even tells us that old people watch porn, too. I really enjoyed that paragraph. I, th I appreciated that Josh yeah, is I mean, not leaving Yeah, I mean, some representation out. for the olds. That's... Exactly, exactly. But skipping down a little ways, he says, quote, One effect of this massive, routine consumption of porn is increased sexual addiction, not surprisingly. Mm. And that's, again, citing to Regneris. Uh, another is the frequency with which porn has become a regular feature of dating or married relationships, something women must navigate around. And um, 
I, so this is weird. This is weird. This is really weird. But Benedict, we got to talk about porn. Uh, so pornography, good thing. Sex work is work. Uh, all that stuff. Uh, there are some people who have, I think, because of the way pornography has within our lifetimes become widely accessible to basically anyone on the internet and the way that it shapes expectations. Mm. There are a number of people, and it's probably likely that most of those people are male or identify as male, have had their expectations damaged by pornography. Yeah. Um, I didn't look into his citation there for the sex addiction part, because, again, it's Regnerus. I'm mm -hmm. not going to trust that guy because he's a whacked-out fascist piece of shit. But I do believe there probably is an issue with people consuming porn in, let's call it an irresponsible way, which does not involve silk, silk handkerchiefs. Yeah, uh, or I'd say, like, even just a, a an uninformed way. Sure. Um, that might that, be the better word yeah. for what I'm talking about here. So there is a legitimate point that could be discussed if Josh Hawley was a good faith person who mm. we were actually dealing with in a, a reasonable light that could be discussed about issues of pornography in our yeah, culture. Yeah, but the, the resolution for it is that we need better sex education, right? And that's yeah. not what he wants. No, like, no, 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 that's no, the... no, 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 because um, your father should, or your grandfather uh, should take you around town laying pipe and that's how you should learn about sex <laughs> from grandpa laying pipe. Always. That's how From you Grandpa Holy. But no, I, I don't want to overlook the fact that I think there are issues of pornography in, in our culture. And I say this as someone who watches pornography, who mm -hmm. is part of the BDSM community. Like, mm -hmm. I'm a weird dude, and I'm, ironically, some BDSM uh, uh, outfits are, like, the most responsible in all of porn. Mm -hmm. Like, the least exploitative and everything. They're really worried about consent, all yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's very consent-driven, if done properly. Yes, yes. Uh, but no, there are issues with this in our society. Josh is not dealing with the real issues that exist yep. there. No, it's sex addiction. The fact, I, and I, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if his citation for there was just like, more people are having sex, so it's sex addiction. That would, I would not be surprised if that was what was going on there. Mm -hmm. But he continues. Then there's this. Major porn consumption encourages some men to forego the risk of dating and marriage altogether. No, it doesn't. I mean, I can't imagine any. There might be like two people who've been like, oh, I don't need to date. I can just watch porn. Like <laughs> yeah. there, there are two people who have ever said that in their lives. And one of them, like a year into that, was like, no, nah, man, I, I guess maybe ah, I'll just I'm find lonely. a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, you know, it'd be nice to have someone to go to restaurants to. Yeah. You know? Kevin says we can all go to restaurants alone, but I you can't. But not every time. Like you don't want. You want. Sometimes you want. Yeah. Exactly. And thank you, listener, for reaching out. <laughs> the porn industry sells its wares as a daring and adventuresome experience, but the research tends to indicate the opposite of true. What does that even mean? What porn is? No, porn is something you do before you fall asleep. Let's be honest. <laughs> Several End of the night. throughout the day. <laughs> I knew one of the things that I knew when I was reading for this chapter was, oh, God, Benedict's going to be feeling really awkward for a great portion I, of it. I'm not. And I want to extend that as I, long I, as possible. Honestly, I'm just tired. <laughs> like, the tired is hitting. <laughs> Skipping down. In a recent survey of men under age 50, none of whom had ever been married, and this is where you were talking about where he, got, he used specific language for his statistics, 29% reported that they had not been on a single date in the last year. 
Among that cohort, pornography use was significant. 33% said they had used it in the last day. 50, 53% said they had consumed it within the last four. And Benedict, I'm going to dash your hopes here that there might be even be anything to glean from this because that survey he's talking about was put out by the Institute for Family Studies, the hate group we've talked about cool. before. And I'm not going to trust anything they say on the matter anyways. So I don't even think it's really worth looking into what that study might actually say or not say. Mm. Skipping down, quote, I suspect most men, especially younger unmarried men, think of porn the way the industry sells it, as an example of machismo and strength. Again, no. No, Just imagining Ge- General Francisco Franco. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate example of machismo. Uh, bring me my porno. <laughs> <laughs> he said, hanging upside down from a lamppost. That's Mussolini, no, but carry on. Who, yep. who did, oh, you said Franco. That's no, right. Franco, that's, yeah. that's, I got it all wrong. I'm that's sorry. That's fine. It's okay. Uh, also, but you used the word machismo. So not, not my fault that I went yeah. to Italian. Not that's my fault true. at all. Uh, but by an example of machismo and strength, this is hardly true. Nothing could be more timid or weak, more sterile than a man alone staring at porn on his phone. And Josh, we have iPads these days. It's way better. Like it's a bigger screen. Yeah, higher one resolution. Hand. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Can, yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, talk, we'll talk about it later. Um, there, there is no risk involved, no exposure to hardship or danger in the least. It is, as Regnerus calls it, Cheap sex, and it cheapens everyone involved. And that just brings back to me, like, the weird gross shit that Christians will say about, like, girls who have sex or women who have sex. Oh, they're, they're like, you know, you're like bubblegum. Do you really want to be chewed up bubblegum when you meet your husband? Do you want to hand him a piece of chewed up bubblegum? That's what that comes off like to me. I think that that's what we should shit. do instead of wedding rings. <laughs> Exchange bubblicious. <laughs> yeah, and you have to have chewed it for the length of time of your body count. <laughs> Years, weeks, days. What are we talking here? Seconds. Every okay. every extra body is all right. Uh, all right, is, is an extra second on the bubblegum. All right, this is doable. This is doable. Are you a juicy fruit guy? What are we talking about here? Um, you know, Always. All right. Uh, no, it's gotta be. Oh no, I was thinking big league chew. I was thinking of ring pops. Is what yeah, I was yeah. Hey, you big league chew. You gotta put the whole pack in though. Yeah. You got the whole pack of big league chew in your mouth for that one. And if you've had an orgy. <laughs> Damn it! Get me a pack of big league chew. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he continues. Interestingly. Staring at porn is one of the few male-dominated activities I think of which really the present-day Epicureans he, gladly like, absolutely refuses to, like, reference jacking it at all. He's just like, <laughs> what do people do? They stare at porn. No, you know, Josh, that, you know, that's I, not the goal there. I fully believe that Josh thinks... That all men do is watch the porn. They yeah. just watch the porn. And and they like, watch it oh, all okay. day. It's they just watch all the way through. Day. They're watching whole, whole like hour and a half videos. Benedict, fun fact. I don't know if you know this. This also comes from the research that he cited. Uh, no man has ever made it all the way through any porn video. Fun fact. Never <laughs> happened. True. Never happened. <laughs> Continuing. Blah, blah, blah. Activities of which the present-day Epicureans gladly approve. They are happy for men to look at porn all the day long. And he put all the, the live long day. <laughs> I've been jerking it to porn. <laughs> all the live long day. Amazing. <laughs> if we ever do much. 
no, we can't. We'll get copyright struck by Pornhub. <laughs> we can just change whatever. it to porno. It's fine. 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 <laughs> uh, am I going to be able to finish this? Nope. Much like our <laughs> porn consumers. <laughs> Next section, Val. <laughs> We're not done yet, you son of a bitch. They defend porn vehemently, religiously, and mock anyone who suggests men should do something else with their time. It makes sense when you consider it. The modern Epicurean vision embraces self pleasure and androgyny you know how androgynous <laughs> folks love to watch porn you know benedict um no nah, i was trying to make a joke about you being androgynous but no you're just so manly you're so I, manly. famously <laughs> uh and that is what porn i mean I, that has to be like him trying to get it in a side swipe at trans people or something right because he doesn't know about fucking Does he think that non-binary and androgyny are the same, are synonyms? Is that what he thinks? I think it's just like men are losing their manliness by looking at porn. That's what he means. Fine. And that is what porn leads to. Men as androgynous consumers. Beyond manhood. Beyond sex, even. Staring at screens. Alone. Oh, so sad. Skipping down. American men are simply having less sex. And that I call bullshit on. I call bullshit on. No, I think that is true. That men are having, that people are having less sex in America? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is true. I recall seeing recently studies saying otherwise, that like more people are having sex. Are. I think that's wrong, but that's fine. Being more sex. I'm Googling it because I need to know the answer now. Uh, bu, 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 bu. Oh shit! There is an LA Times article why young people are having less sex. Okay, fine, cool. I, the, you know, the answer is because there are more ways to entertain yourself without meeting other people. <laughs> like <laughs> video games exist, you know. Like sure. that, you know. You know what? Sure, that is fine. There are more entertainment options, and honestly, as someone who sees sex primarily as entertainment, dark fine. in the winter at five. <laughs> And it was cold. What yeah, else but do you were do? but you were sewn into your clothes back. Then. I can't. Come on. Yeah, but you can make a small hole. I can't <laughs> read a book for six hours on end. That's ridiculous. <laughs> There's too many RTS games for me to play. I can't exactly. be having sex all the time. Exactly. <laughs> no time. Uh, continuing, the problem is men like that. Uh, men like that aren't really men at all. They are easy. Okay. To- do you want teenagers to have sex or not? Like what? Like this is again one of those confusing things. Well, like, Benedict, as you know, I want men should... to have sex, but not women. Like what? <laughs> but they should be married by sixteen, and then they yeah. should be having sex, obviously. Uh, but only uh, to have babies. Of course, of course, and and never again. <laughs> number of children you have, number of times you had sex. Josh doesn't understand how <laughs> anything works. But he continues. Stop interrupting me before I get to this great quote here. Jesus Christ, go on. They are easy to control and order about, focused as they are on their whims and personal safety. Entertain them with bread and circuses, and they do as they are told. Yeah, which is famously not an ancient Roman expression to describe, you know, this is a modern phenomenon. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. But Benedict, this is where I made the joke earlier. He literally says it. Porn is a retreat like Abraham in Egypt to yep. which men flee in times of trouble. 
That's so fucking ridiculous. I just love it. I just love that line so much. You were not going to keep me from getting that line. That's fine. Okay. Uh, Next section. Wow. Well, are we at the... Yeah, we are. I guess we are, basically. There's no... Yeah, fine. We're done with porn. You want to do boring shit. Fine. Val. Next subsection. Begins, quote, What else must a man do to acquire the character of a husband, to become a man who can receive God's promise of family, home, and Eden? He must be willing to commit, to vow, and having vowed, he must endure. And basically, it's just uh, God made a covenant with Abraham, so you gotta, you gotta make promise, I guess... With God, because uh, metaphors are tough, man, and he had to write a whole book. It's like got a couple hundred pages, so shit's mm. hard. Shit it hard. hard. It's just hard to put down on paper. And he just goes through, again, the story of Abraham not having any sons. Barely also, addresses like he's so the He's so mad at people getting, that's true. He's so mad at people getting married slightly later, but then also is like, when Abraham was 99, <laughs> he had his first <laughs> child. Yeah, if we all lived that long, it wouldn't be such a fucking problem, would it? Well, uh, you know, Ben, um, the, the female fertility actually begins when she's around 14 years old. <laughs> and that is the problem. <coughs> Sorry, I just put on my uh, libertarian hat. generic right-wing pundit hat these days. Yes. <coughs> but yeah, it's the story of the Abraham stuff again. This is weird, isn't it? How, you know, people seem to be on the right trotting that out more and more. Like it used to be, yeah, like the joke, because it's true, is that libertarians are pedophiles. But, you know. <laughs> This seems like a lot more people who don't associate with that libertarian camp are trotting that out on the right now. Yeah. Uh, really a little bit creepy. I haven't really been paying attention to that. Yeah, you probably shouldn't. It's it's better if you enjoy your life and let me do my thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're back at the Abraham story. God made him, made Abraham make a promise to God, and then God promised that Abraham would have a son. Great. And I guess they didn't trust God because Abraham's wife told him to rape her slave. Uh, so, boy, fun stuff. And Josh says, what are we to learn from this? A husband is a man who can take a vow, who can commit himself, body and soul, to another. This is not so easy to do. To vow, after all, is to risk. That is the very nature of it. Vowing means pledging something of value, blah, blah, blah. It's just boring platitudes again. Again, like I pointed out, there's no, like, concrete stuff. No, nothing nothing Abraham does well. Like, yeah. There's like nothing you could even uh, uh, take from that to try and put into a concrete form. It's all just abstract platitudes and bullshit. But yes, then he gets to his complaining about the ages that people are getting married again, right? So he says that uh, in the year 2000, most Americans between the ages of 25 and 34 were married or had been. 55% of them, to be exact. Just over a decade later, those numbers had shifted dramatically. By 2014, more than 50% of Americans between 24 and 35 had never been married. And the marriage trend line continued downward. And yes, people are getting married later in life. What's the problem with that? I I don't know. Well, so the the thing, this is where I was talking about the dodgy statistics, right? So he says, uh, let me just read it again. The marriage rate in the United States has dropped by 50% over the last century, with the sharpest declines coming in the last three decades. As recently as the year 2000, most Americans between the ages of 25 and 34 were married, or had been, right? Okay. Or had been. So, were so divorce, divorce. divorcees in there, yeah. 55% of them, to be exact. Just over a decade later, those numbers had shifted dramatically. By 2014, more than 50% of Americans between 24 and 35 had never been married. So it went from 45% to just over 50%. That's not that big of an increase. It's really not, yeah. 
Also, he had to change the year range there. It went, it went from up to 35 instead of 34. And yep. another weird thing I want to point out, him including had been married, so the divorcees in there, um, really weird in the chapter where the literal next subheading is endure. Yeah. <laughs> really weird to well, include the divorcees Well, because I would imagine that people are staying married more because they don't get married when they shouldn't. Like right. they're not making stupid choices when they're young and yeah. just shacking up with their high school girlfriend, right? Yeah. That's that be happening happening less to these men that Josh is so concerned about. But yes, that does bring us to the next subsection of the chapter, the final one, I think. Maybe there be there's that one weird one. Yeah, we got it. Okay, almost the last one. Endure, and this is just boy, it's nothing, isn't it? He doesn't even get into what I thought he would talk about here, which is that you're not supposed to get divorced. I really thought that would be the point of the endure section, but it isn't. No. Kind of strange. Instead, it's the story of the time that Josh and his wife found out about their kid's illness. Sad. Sad. Sure. Eh, I don't know. It, does it have anything to do with... No. Nothing. Because... No, it's literally, as we said, just like, kid got sick, had a hip problem, basically, mm-hmm. Uh, that was hard for me and my wife. Yes. And it's, it's this disease. We didn't know what it was when we did like the Josh Hawley intro episode where we watched that, that campaign ad he did, but he names it here. It's called Perthes disease. P-E-R-T-H-E-S. I looked into it and it's like the hip socket malforms because there's not enough blood flow. So they can do a couple procedures and usually fix it. It's sad. Don't want kids going through pain, obviously. No. But then to look back on the way Josh played that up for his political usage, kind of fucking gross. Yeah. Kind of fucking gross to now find out that this is what it was. Again, not saying it's not a, a condition or serious or whatever, but mm, boy, Josh, you really played it up. Because I think in the ad, I remember he just said, our son has a chronic illness. Something like that. I mean, that's that's not wrong. But I think yeah. he kept it vague to imply that it was like something more serious. Yeah. Something life-threatening as opposed to this is typically, you know, you could end up with a limp or you might have some long-term joint damage or something, but typically it's not life-threatening what this is. So I feel like Josh might have played it up for that whole reason there, and he's a dick, so I'm going to attribute bad motivations to him. But, yeah, so the story we get here, it is literally, as I said earlier, nothing really in here about being a husband. There's nothing you would expect in a chapter titled Husband. There is no talking about consoling his wife and being the strength of the family and all this rah-rah Christian patriot, you know, patriarchy yep. bullshit that you would think he would have been in here. Instead, it's just, I was feeling really sad because we didn't know if my kid was going to be okay. But then my mom said it was all going to be all right. So Yeah, my mom was like, yeah, endure. Like, oh, okay, fine. Literally. Literally, that was it. Quote, the story basically ends. There's a little bit more, but it was my mother who, in the end, helped me find what I needed to weather the storm. I was on the phone with her, walking beneath a leaden winter sky, and she said to me, you will endure. Boy, did you not know what the point of your own chapter was, Josh. That quote really should have come from your wife in this story here, or something. Yeah, we would never know. We would never know, exactly. And... Besides, you probably made it up anyway because you lie about everything, Josh. So, yep, that's that. Nothing really more else to talk about. It. it. Like, literally the only thing that I expected is, like, the final two sentences. Through the storm, Aaron and I grew closer. Aaron's his wife's name. We learned to trust one another even more. We came to understand one another better. And I came to see a little more clearly that sometimes promises found on the other side of pain. Blah. Yeah. 
But that's it. Boy, really should have made that the thrust of the section, Josh. I'm sure Aaron is happy with you. Yeah. And that brings us to the final subsection, Protect and Provide. Which we no, there's one more. There's the character of a husband. Oh, yeah, but that's like the last paragraph. He just stuck a subheading title there for some yeah. reason. But it begins. You remember that Abraham once lied about Sarah being his sister, not his wife, to keep himself safe. He did it again later. That rascal. Like, <laughs> oh, Abraham. He's back to his old tricks. Well, you sent your wife and son. You sent your wife's slave and your son out into the desert to die. Oh, Abraham. Oh, A.B. You lied about being your wife's brother so that they would hopefully just, you know, assault her instead of you? Oh, Abraham. In my head, you're Clippy saying this. Looks like you <laughs> pretended to be your wife's brother. Did you mean to do that? <laughs> Abraham and Sarah again found themselves on the move and ended up again in unfriendly territory where Abraham again tried to pass Sarah off as his sister. Oh, Abraham. <laughs> then we jump down. Oh, and here's another thing, a weird thing that happened. I don't know what the deal is. But so David Gilmore, who we've talked about before, he wrote, uh, um, what is the title of the book? Uh, Manhood. I forget the title of it. Manhood in the Making. Um, I got a PDF of that previously, mm. or I think I, I had it on like Internet Archive. And now I go on Internet Archive because I tried to look this up for this episode and it's just not available anymore. It's oh, just, you can't even check it out anymore. I don't know what the fuck happened. I'm really mad about it. If anybody knows where I can find a copy of that so I can update and see how he's taking this part out of context, please let me know because I would like to do that. I'm sure he's doing it again. But he says, the anthropologist David Gilmore notes that, quote, for a group to maintain itself over time, people must have a minimum number of children and must socialize them properly. Not an easy task. He goes on. At the same time, someone must feed and protect children and their mothers, both of whom are too otherwise occupied to hunt or fight wars. Okay, feels yeah. like he's taking, again, like he did with the last David Gilmore quote, something descriptive out of context mm -hmm. and portraying it as proscriptive in some way, right? They love uh, to do that. He loves to do that. He continues, that someone is traditionally a man, specifically a husband. And what was true in traditional societies, also, Josh, he's not going to deal with the fact that most societies prior to, like, very recently were all polygamist. Like, most were polygamist. No. He's not going to deal with that at all. I'm, I'm pretty no. sure. No, no. Um, bup, bup, bup. Uh, and what was true in traditional societies is also true today. Though the emphasis may be less on hunting and physical prowess than on providing a paycheck and a measure of security. So he hasn't said it explicitly in this horrible, god-awful chapter, but it is implicitly in that section there, in that bit I just read, that, well, men are supposed to go out and make the money, and women stay home with the children. Of course. Uh, it, it's what they do. It's just, it's just the way natural. societies should be. It's the way they've always been. Why would you want to change them? Bring polygamy back. Let's do it. Make polygamy great again. <laughs> Mappa. Yeah. Mappa. Mapuga. Mapka. Mapka. Oh, uh, boy. Boy, we are both tired by the end of this. That porn section took it out of me. <laughs> yeah, I spent so much time laughing on that porn section. You literally spent yourself on the porn section. My throat, I literally have a tickle in my throat, and I know mm. my voice is going to be rough tomorrow because I was laughing so much through that fantastic porn section. But let's get towards the end of it here. He continues, The basic insight is that women are careful about whom... Oh, so he's talking about this sociologist douchebag, uh, William Julius Wilson. Uh, it was just a, a weird cat. 
but, but the basic insight is that women are careful about whom they marry, more careful than men. And one thing they consistently look for in a man is, is his ability to contribute to the family. And then we get to the real weirdo he's going to cite here. Quote, The economist Gary Becker made mm. a similar point in a famous article about economics and marriage in 1973. He called it a theory of marriage, the essential claim of which was marriage is a market based on gains from trade. Men cool. and women decide to marry when each party concludes rationally that the other person can contribute something to the partnership, making the marriage profitable. Economists should never be allowed to write anything. Benedict, he's a buddy with all the fucking Von Mises assholes. Yeah. He's a Chicago school weirdo. He's not a fucking economist. I don't care if he won the Nobel Prize for economics. He's still a weird douchebag. And all you need to read is that description of what he said to see how dumb he really is. That's some dumb bullshit. And it also very much echoes weird shit you will hear incels or read them usually saying on the internet about relationships. And it, we're going to talk about it at some point. But that's it might be a, where that sort of comes from. That idea might be coming from Gary Becker. But Josh gets us towards the end here, saying, One reason for the declining marriage rate in America is that fewer and fewer men are working and providing. As men do less, go to school less, work less, and risk less, they become less suitable as husbands. It's a simple fact. The number of marriageable men in America is on the wane. And I wonder if this was in the back of Josh's mind. But if he thinks that the reason why lesbians exist is because there aren't enough men... Which is, again, sort of one of those horrible things I that straight, so. straight homophobes have thought throughout the I ages. I don't think so. But I wonder if that might be one of the things tickling Josh's no. head there. But, uh, yeah, finally, he finished off with some advice. Get a job. Keep Punk. it. Yeah. Pay your bills. Then save some money. It's if only, written. Josh. <laughs> if only we fucking could. Written by so like someone who has never had to fucking worry about yep. money. Really is. Really, really is. And that brings us, Benedict, finally, to the final Wrap it up. subsection, which is the, just the last paragraph I'm going to read in full. It is, quote, In many ways, the only thing at which Abraham was consistent as a husband was failure. Then why the fuck did you spend this, this whole chapter talking example. about him Find a better one. Yeah. Still, in the end, he received the promise he had long waited for. The story concludes... The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he... Oh, shit. Lord did to Sarah. And Sarah conceived, blah, blah, blah. Sarah had a kid. You all know. This is actually 13 years in the story after the first kid was had from the slave. Uh, continuing. His marriage succeeded. His family took root. Because he was perfect? Hardly. Because he made no mistakes? He seems to have made just as many toward the end as at the beginning. But all this is encouraging news, since no man alive is perfect. Here is what Abraham did do. He toiled over the years to acquire something he initially did not have. Character. Josh, you just right, told so us he failed as much repeatedly. at the end as the beginning. Where'd the character come in? The second time he said, hey, take my wife, not me? The second time he did that? Is that when the character came in? Through the wanderings and the setbacks and the challenges and the trials... Abraham acquired the character of a husband. He learned to risk himself, to vow and endure, to provide and protect, as he did. By the way, Josh has, has given us no instances of citations from the Bible where any of these things happened. He's no. just saying they've happened, as he always does. 
um, to provide and protect, as he did. He shouldered Adam's mission. He advanced God's purposes. He stepped out toward a new Eden. End of chapter 5. Boy, Abraham didn't do any of that shit, did he? No. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. You know, one thing I do love about this book is how much it's giving us an opportunity to learn about all the fuck-ups in the Bible. Yeah. Seems like just about every character. Inconsistencies as well. Bunch of fuck-ups. Bunch of... Well, inconsistencies with what the fuck Josh thinks is happening versus what actually is happening. Yeah. Yeah. But boy, Benedict. Yeah, that chapter had nothing to do with being a husband, did it? That just... That just was completely out the window. He put the word husband down on a page. He's like, okay, guess I'll slap some keys and see if something goes down on paper. But uh, not really much there of relevance. No. It's weird. We're both very tired at yep. the end of this one. That's it. Anyways, that. thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, I have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Sam Walsh, Right Green Cruelty Isn't a Bug, It's a Feature, Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Peace, Peace Teach, you get me every time because you switched it around. Dr. Milminian Land Lilium Swim Womley, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Danny Rosari, Pause for the Eh? 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 New Buildings are a Globalist Conspiracy, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson Fetro, Stephen DeBeau, Torian DeGallant, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S. I'm going to make your name as long as possible. Sorry, not sorry, Kevin. LOLOL. Oh, Benedict, what art thou, bright spot? The Thought of Sleep. I figured that was it. Flack Weasel, Kieran Dackler, join us next week when Elon Musk will be charged up for domestic batteries. <laughs> Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke. I swear, that that patron is psychic. Because they didn't know I was going to talk about Twitter but the getting of today's episode. Every no. time, every time they change it, it's somehow on point. I don't know how, but somehow always is. Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Clinton Stuckey, Pause, Arrestless Native, A Baby, Wah. Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Stefan, Mrs. Great Bar, Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlisle, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Takanen, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, just, just fuck you, Josh. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.